Methodist Church. Good to be with you this morning. If you haven't already filled out the attendance pads, please find those and fill them out and pass them along to others sitting in the pew with you so that they can fill them out as well. Welcome to those of you who are worshiping with us online. It's good to have you with us as well. I pray we will all be blessed in this time of worship. I just want to tell you a quick story before we get started. Uh, Thursday evening, we had an administrative board meeting here at the church, and I was the first one here because I was opening up the building, and it was very dark. I, I opened the, uh, the door over by the community center, and I entered into my office, uh, which the back door of my office that comes in behind my desk, and it was completely dark, and as I entered my office, I thought I saw the outline of somebody sitting at my desk. Now, you can imagine if you walk into a dark room and you're the only one there and you see somebody sitting there in the dark at your desk, how terrifying that would be. But it didn't appear that this person was moving at all. So I turned on my light, and this is who was sitting at my desk. He was just sitting there. And uh, it wasn't until I went out of my office, came back in, and saw the bulletin in my mailbox that I realized why there was a lion sitting at my desk. So um, we're now looking for a new administrative assistant, if you know. <laughs> He's just going to stay there while we worship. The uh, announcements are in your bulletin. The calendar is in your bulletin. Uh, we are here to worship and praise our God, so I invite you to be in a spirit of worship as the choir presents the music of the introit. There we go. Please stand for the call to worship, printed in your bulletin. <clears throat> Wait patiently, for God will be revealed to us. God is our refuge in whom we trust. We are here to receive life in all its abundance. God is providing for us and has a purpose for us. And join in our opening hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in the United Methodist Hymnal, number 110.
may be seated. And in your bulletin is our opening prayer. Please join me in unison. Loving God, you bring light to our days and hope to our hearts. We draw near to you as survivors of another week, grateful for your care. You have provided for us, preserved our lives, and invented us once more to this time of prayer. Now we would be still before you, leaving behind our distress and anger, entrusting our weaknesses to your empowering spirit. Raise us up to embrace your way of love. Amen. And please um, join in our prayer hymn, number 523, verses 1 and 2. Lord Jesus, you are our shelter in every storm. You are our refuge in every time of danger. You are our strength to face every trial that is before us. Lord, give us your grace to face those struggles that, that we are enduring in our lives right now, the worries and concerns that we carry with us day by day, but you, Lord, invite us not to carry them alone, but to lay them at your feet and to trust in you with all things, and so we pray that we would be able to do that right now to place all those concerns at your feet, trusting in your sheltering grace. 
We lift up loved ones and family and friends who are going through trials, knowing that you're able to provide for them as well. And so we lay our concerns for them at your feet as well. We pray for this church that you might show us your will for us and give us the the faithfulness and the persistence to follow wherever that leads, to do whatever is necessary to strengthen one another in faith and to reach out in love and concern to others so that they might know the truth of the gospel, that they might come to salvation in Jesus Christ. So that is why we are here this day, is because of that salvation in Jesus Christ that we have found and that we want others to find as well. And so in this time of worship, may we simply give you our praise, our praise for that salvation, that life that we have in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name as we offer to you the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship by presenting God with our tithes and our offerings as the ushers wait upon us. dedication. God, we recognize that we have been blessed with great abundance. In offering these gifts, 
May we be strengthened to proclaim your faithfulness and your salvation this day and always. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
today is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open towards Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and asking mercy before God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. This is, without doubt, the most familiar and beloved story from the book of Daniel. Ever since I began this series on Daniel, any time I've told someone that I'm preaching on the book of Daniel, whether it was someone inside the church or outside of the church, their response invariably has been, you mean Daniel in the lion's den? To which I say, yes, that's one of the stories in the book. There are a lot of others, as we have seen, but this one is without doubt, one that everybody knows and loves. Like all the other stories in Daniel, this one can be read and enjoyed as a standalone story. You can read chapter 6 of Daniel all by itself, not knowing anything about the rest of the book, and still understand the story and appreciate the meaning of it. But reading it in the context of the entire book helps us to understand the story even more. Such as Daniel's advanced age, We saw last week that Daniel was at least in his mid-80s at the time that Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians. This story comes probably at least a couple of years after that. So I'm going to put Daniel's age here at right around 90, which makes me appreciate some parts of this story even more, like Daniel getting down on his knees to pray three times a day. Even at my age, if I get down on my knees, I need to have a plan as to how I'm going to get back up. The fact that Daniel was kneeling to pray three times a day at close to age 90, well, that's impressive. This story takes place during the reign of King Darius. Now, I had always assumed that this was the same King Darius, mentioned several other times in the Old Testament, uh, who was king of Persia some years after King Cyrus and who continued to support the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem that Cyrus had begun. Turns out this is not that Darius. For one thing, that Darius came a number of years after Cyrus, but Daniel identifies this king as being the first to rule following the defeat of Babylon. For another thing, that Darius was a Persian, and this Darius is consistently referred to as Darius the Mede. 
And for yet another thing, we know that Cyrus was the king of Persia at the time that Babylon was defeated, not the Darius that came years after him. So it turns out this is a, a completely different Darius from all, the, from, from all of the other Old Testament stories about a King Darius. This one was a Mede who ruled under the authority of the Persian king Cyrus. By the time Cyrus defeated Babylon, the Persian Empire had consolidated its power by absorbing within itself the Median kingdom. One of the ways that Cyrus consolidated that power was by forming alliances and placing Medes in positions of authority. Last week when we looked at the downfall of Babylon, I talked about the Median army led by General Gabrias. Those Medes were acting under the authority of the Persian King Cyrus. So it would be accurate to say that the Babylonian kingdom was defeated by the Medes and that it succumbed to King Cyrus of Persia. Notice that in the last verse of chapter 5, when Darius was first introduced, Daniel says, Darius the Mede received the kingdom. He doesn't say Darius claimed the kingdom for himself. He says Darius received the kingdom, implying that there was someone even higher than him who gave him this position. And there was. It was Cyrus, who was the ultimate ruler over all the kingdoms he had united into the Persian Empire, and who made, he made Darius the Mede, the king of this newly conquered territory. I've read some pretty convincing scholarship suggesting that this Darius the Mede was none other than General Gabrias, who, as we saw last week, was the Median general who defeated Babylon. I'm fairly convinced by that, but it's not revealed in Scripture, so we don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is that although Daniel refers to Darius the Mede as king, Darius himself was subject to King Cyrus of Persia. That's a significant fact when we come later in the chapter to Darius's officials pointing to the law of the Medes and Persians. Before we get to that, though, we are told that King Darius set 120 satraps over his kingdom with three presidents above them. Satraps were local officials who were in charge of what we might call a precinct. It was a way of keeping order and also a way of making sure that the king got all the taxes that were due to him. Each of these 120 precincts was overseen by a satrap who kept the peace and collected the taxes. And all of those 120 satraps were overseen by three presidents that Darius put in charge. One of those three presidents was Daniel. We can assume that the other two presidents were Medes, or one or both of them might have been Persians. They were not Jewish. Daniel was the only Jew among them. But being the only Jew was not what distinguished Daniel in the eyes of Darius. What distinguished Daniel in the eyes of Darius was what a successful president he was. Verse 3 says, Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was with him. And the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. Now let's step back to the previous chapter for a moment. Remember when the Babylonians were still in charge, King Belshazzar offered to make whoever could read the writing on the wall third ruler in the kingdom. Nabonade was first, Belshazzar was second. Whoever could read and interpret the writing on the wall would be made third. Daniel had told Belshazzar he didn't need that. He didn't want that honor. But once he successfully read and interpreted the words, Belshazzar went ahead with it anyway. He gave the command that Daniel was the third in the kingdom. But then, that very night, 
Belshazzar was killed, and the whole kingdom of Babylon was destroyed. Daniel, presumably, was nothing once again. But the new ruler must have very quickly seen something special in Daniel. I wish Daniel had written the story of those in-between years, how he went from being third ruler of Babylon to being the president of the new regime. You would think that having been in the throne room at the time of Babylon's downfall would have made Daniel a target to be killed by the Median army, but God protected him from that. Probably the fact that Daniel had prophesied Belshazzar's and Babylon's defeat ingratiated him somewhat in the eyes of the new king. It didn't take long for the new king to realize there was something very special about this Daniel. And before you know it, King Darius is ready to appoint Daniel over the entire kingdom, which puts him right back to where he was at the end of the last chapter. Now it is King Cyrus who is the first ruler, King Darius who is the second, and once again, Daniel is third ruler in the land. Except that the other two presidents and the 120 satraps weren't about to let that happen. They were not about to let a former slave be their superior. They were not about to answer to an exiled Jew. So they came up with a plan. Their plan was to get Daniel in trouble. But there wasn't any legitimate way to do that because Daniel was too smart and too skilled and too faithful. So what do people vying for power do when there isn't any legitimate way to get what they want? They come up with an illegitimate way, of course. They lie. Long before Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, he was caught up in a den of liars. Listen to what they say to King Darius. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and the governors, all agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. What's the lie in that? All the presidents agree. All the presidents agree? Daniel was one of the presidents. In fact, he was the one that the king wanted to place over all of the other presidents. Surely Daniel was not in agreement on this, as they suggested when they said all the presidents agree. That statement was a bold-faced lie. Unfortunately, Darius didn't look into the truth of it. He liked the sound of it too much to investigate whether or not it was true. That's what we all do when we hear something we agree with. That's how fake news gets spread. We don't bother to check the sources if what we hear lines up with what we already believe. Darius didn't bother to check the sources. He, he didn't say, wait a minute, one of the presidents whom you claim to be speaking for isn't in the room right now. Why not? Maybe I should call him in and find out. No, he just signed the document. Because, hey, if they're all agreed that it's a good idea, who is he to question it? They knew this was the way that they could entrap Daniel because they knew about Daniel's faith. They were familiar with his pattern of devotion. They knew that he, having lived as a faithful Jew for 90 years, was not going to change his devotion now in order to follow some decree that went against his God. Verse 10 tells us several important things. First, it tells us that Daniel knew about the decree. That's important because if he 
hadn't known about the decree, he, he could have pled ignorance. But more than that, if he hadn't known, then there would have been nothing remarkable about his faith or, or about his prayer. He would have just been doing what he always did with no knowledge that he wasn't supposed to be doing it. Secondly, verse 10 tells us that despite this knowledge, that the king's edict forbid him from praying as he always did, he continued to do it anyway. That is, he prayed openly, verbally, on his knees, with his windows open. That's significant, too, that he prayed on his knees, with his windows open. He didn't have to do that. But that was his custom. That was how he had always prayed three times a day, every day. There's nothing in the Torah, the law of God by which the Jews live their lives, there's nothing in the commands of God that says that you must pray out loud on your knees three times a day with the windows open facing Jerusalem. The Torah commands you to pray, but there's a lot of leeway as to the manner and the method in which you pray. Daniel could have prayed with the windows closed and his prayer would, would have still been just as valid. He could have prayed standing up or, or sitting down and his prayer would have still been just as valid. He could have prayed silently in his head without moving his lips at all and his prayer still would have been just as valid. And if he had done those things, the others would have had no grounds on which to convict him of breaking the king's decree they wouldn't have even known that he was praying. He would have still been praying to God and therefore breaking the decree, but there wouldn't have been any proof, no evidence. The only ones to know would have been him and God. And God wasn't about to tell on him. At least I don't think so. But Daniel would have known that he was not being faithful. Because Daniel felt compelled by God to pray out loud three times a day. Not, not because anything in the written word commands it, but because that's how he maintained his connection with God while living in a land that was anything but godly. He felt compelled by God to pray with the windows open facing Jerusalem. Not because anything in the written word commands it, but because that's how he expressed his faith that, that God would one day lead his people back to the promised land and back to the temple. He felt compelled to pray on his knees. Not because anything in the written word commands it, but because that's how he reminded himself day in and day out to humble himself before God's glory, to submit himself to the power and will of God. And furthermore, this was Daniel's custom of prayer, and everyone around him knew it. That, that's why they knew it would be so easy to entrap him with this decree. If Daniel were to all of a sudden change his custom in order to not get caught? If for the next 30 days he closed his windows when he prayed and didn't get down on his knees when he prayed and only spoke to God silently rather than out loud, then it would appear to everyone else that he had turned his back on God, that he had quit praying. They didn't know God the way Daniel did. They didn't know God's law the way Daniel did. All they knew was Daniel and what they saw Daniel doing. If he changed his custom because of this edict, then for all they knew, he was following the edict. He, he had given up on praying to God just because the king said so. What kind of testimony would that be? None. 
It, it wouldn't be any testimony at all. His credibility as a spokesman for God would be ruined. God himself would be discredited. What's the point of all that for us? Well, the point of that for us is this. Our faithfulness to God cannot be measured simply by the letter of the law. The written word of God lays out certain basics that are for everyone, but what God wants from each of us is a personal relationship. God's call upon you is a personal one. God is going to ask you to be devoted to him in a way that he's not going to ask of anyone else in this room. God is going to call you to something that he isn't expecting anyone else but you to carry out. You need to be in the Bible, studying it, learning from it, getting to know it, because that's the main way by which we get to know who God is. But it is not the only way that God speaks to us. God's word to us is personal. He's not going to contradict the Bible. He's not going to call you to something that's contrary to his word. But neither can you say you've been faithful just because you've followed the letter of the written law. Daniel could have completely followed the letter of the written law and he still would have let God down. He could have stayed faithful to the Torah and still failed to be the witness that God was calling him to be. But Daniel had that personal relationship with God by which the Spirit of God could speak to his spirit. And he was compelled by that Spirit to do more than what the law required. He was compelled by that personal relationship with God to keep his windows open, to get down on his knees, to speak his prayer out loud. Not just as an act of devotion, but as a witness to his faith. Even, even when that witness could get him thrown into a den of lions. Verse 11 says the conspirators came and found Daniel praying. This does not mean that they walked by and happened to notice. They came looking for this. They were waiting for this. Verse 10 says that Daniel was praying in an upper room. Why does it mention that fact? Some have pointed out that having an upper room in that culture indicates that he was a man of wealth. That's probably true. He was about to be made third in the kingdom after all. But that's not why the Bible mentions that he was in an upper room. It mentions he was in an upper room because there is no way anyone could stumble upon him praying. They could not have found the evidence against him unless they were intentionally spying on him. Daniel wasn't trying to hide his prayer. He kept his windows open for a reason. But he wasn't out there doing this on the street corner. He was not like the hypocrites that Jesus warned against who show off their prayers. He was in his room upstairs. They had to go out of their way to spy on him to collect the evidence they needed in order to bring him before the king for punishment. So they get the evidence they need, and they go to the king, and they lie again. This story is as much about Daniel facing a den of liars as it is about him facing a den of lions. The presidents and satraps go to the king and say, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you signed. Now, it's true that Daniel was not giving heed to the interdict that the king had signed, but the claim that Daniel paid no attention to the king, 
That was another bold-faced lie. Daniel paid more attention to the king than any of them. Daniel was more faithful to the king than any of them. What Daniel did was actually for the good of the kingdom. That's what made him such a successful president. All they cared about was what kind of position and power they could get from the king. How they could use him for their own interests. Here's where the law of the Medes and Persians comes in. The fact that King Darius had King Cyrus above him allows the presidents and satraps to trap Darius just as much as they had trapped Daniel. If Darius were the absolute ruler of all, he would be the law unto himself. He could say, that's a stupid law, I'm changing it. But Darius was not an absolute ruler. He was not the law unto himself. Darius himself was subject to Cyrus. If Darius doesn't toe the line following the law of the Medes and Persians, then they could go above his head and have him replaced. All they have to do is convince Cyrus that Darius is undependable, that he's not loyal, that he thinks he can change the law on a whim, that he isn't a man of his word. Cyrus is not going to leave a man like that in charge of such a volatile territory as this recently conquered Babylon. So Darius is bound by his edict. He tries to find a way to rescue Daniel, probably trying to bargain with the presidents and satraps, but they're in no mood to bargain. They have Darius trapped, just like they have Daniel trapped. Darius has to go through with it. He throws Daniel to the lions. And as he does so, he says, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. This is a far cry from Nebuchadnezzar, who in chapter 3 said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Who is the God who can rescue you? Nebuchadnezzar believed there was no God that could rescue them. He learned otherwise. Darius was hoping that there was, that, that the God Daniel believed in really was real and powerful to save. But the faith that he expressed was not true faith. True faith is what was shown by Daniel, who went willingly into the lion's den, not knowing what would happen, but knowing that whatever happened, he could trust God, and he would not turn from God. There's no indication here that Daniel was given a prophetic vision promising that he would be safe from the lions. He received a number of other prophetic visions from God over the years. The rest of the book of Daniel is full of visions from God given to Daniel. But in this case, he was not told by God what would happen inside that den of lions. But just like his three friends who went into the fiery furnace not knowing if God would protect them from the flames or not, but knowing that no matter what, they would remain faithful, Daniel went into that den of lions with that same mind and spirit, an absolute devotion and faithfulness to God. True faith, saving faith, means placing our lives in God's hands. It means knowing that God is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, all-good, and therefore we can trust Him in everything, doing whatever His Spirit compels us to do, regardless of the law, regardless of social judgment, regardless of what the fallout may be, 
to remain faithful to God's call upon us, finding life in that personal relationship with Him. That is the kind of faith that saves us. That is the faith to which God calls us. That is the faith demonstrated by Daniel. And that is the faith that we see rewarded in such a miraculous way in this story. God sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel emerges without a scratch. The king gives glory to God. And those who sought to destroy Daniel are themselves destroyed. Psalm 7 says in verses 14 through 16, See how they conceive evil and are pregnant with mischief and bring forth lies. They make a pit, digging it out, and fall into the hole that they have made. Their mischief returns upon their own heads, and on their own heads their violence descends. It's as if the psalmist was writing about these people in Daniel chapter 6. That's exactly what happened. Those who were filled with mischief and brought forth lies were thrown into the very lion's den that they had devised to be Daniel's destruction. The Lord is a God of justice. So we don't have to worry about being in a, surrounded by a den of liars. In due season, the Lord will shine the light of truth. We don't have to worry about being thrown into the den of lions either. The Lord is our strength and our protection. He can send His angel to defend us. He can use His strong arm to protect us. And regardless of anything else that happens, no matter what, if we are faithful to Him, when we place our trust in Him, we can depend without any doubt that His Son will save us. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand now as you are able. Let's join in our closing hymn, which is number 513 in the hymnal, Soldiers of Christ Arise.
please be seated. And I invite you to remain in your seats until the uh, choir has processed out following the benediction. Pray without ceasing to pray. From strength to strength, go on. Know that your strength is in the Lord. He is your salvation and your protection. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. (coughs) 